back to another Awareness to Action Enneagram podcast. My name is Creek, and I'm here with my audacious co-hosts, Maria Sikora and Maria Jose Minita. And today we are talking about the long, long-awaited eight subtypes of the ape episode. Awaited by Mario. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been paying attention up to this point, so. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... Mario, MJ, what are the the common mistypings, the common misunderstandings of some of the subtypes of the eight? Yeah, that's tough because yeah. I, I I really think eights are one of the easier types to figure out, right? I, 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 the opposite, like other subtypes who which are, might be confused with eight, might be transmitting six or transmitting one at times. Um, sometimes twos, men, male twos, uh, but the other way around, like eight being confused with another subtype, it's just, I think it's hard. Yeah, especially the transmitting eight. So the transmitting eight is kind of the stereotype of the eight, right? It's like the the transmitting seven, for example, or the preserving five. They're, you know, you get the two elements of the personality that are reinforcing each other and make it very obvious. I think the one that's a little bit harder to recognize is probably the navigating eight, which at times might be, you know, misidentified as, you know, something that's not an eight, um, you know, but maybe a nine on occasion or, uh, or a five. But that's usually only pretty short-lived, right? I mean, people don't hold that misunderstanding very long, um, even with the navigating eight. Do you agree with that, what you're saying? I do. We have we've had yeah. all sorts of people telling Mario that he's not an an eight. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, if I you remember, listen to our last episode, you know one's going to question that. Well, well, I'd be kind of shy, you know, and that's the point, right? I mean, you, you might pick out one episode, you might pick out five minutes of one of these episodes and say, well, you know, Mario, maybe Mario's not an eight, maybe he's a five, maybe he's a nine, whatever, maybe he's a one. Um, but you know, if you, if you listen to the podcast, I think it'd be pretty hard to say, you know, <laughs> he's not an eight. I mean, it's, you know, I'm a pretty simple guy. Simple? <laughs> uh, well. <laughs> not easy, but simple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're predictable. You're predictable. Predictable for sure. Yeah. yeah. For sure. <laughs> it's just like the ATA model. There you Not go. Not easy, but but simple and yeah, but right. predictable. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's let's go ahead and jump into the preserving eight. Rose, why don't you talk to us about the preserving eight? Sure, happy to. Eight is one of my favorite types. I just enjoy. <laughs> I just enjoy talking about it. Not only because Mario is an eight, but. That's a big part of it. But I think that eights are very visible. You can easily tell when somebody's an eight. And because of my work with leaders, I jump into eights often. So I have a lot of experience with eight bosses that I've had or eight leaders that I've coached. Um, having said that, I think that uh, the preserving eight is... Um, they want this powerful preserving. So it's not so much the stereotype of the eight that we think of when we think about the eight, but it's 
more reserved. Um, it's a profile that it's they want to kind of hold on to the resources, help people through providing, controlling the resources, controlling um, what's being done, all the details, all the tasks. So it's all the preserving things that I want to dominate, that I want to control, that I want to have power over. That would be my uh, description of the preserving eight. Yeah, for, for anybody in the corporate world to really understand the preserving eight, just take a look at your head of procurement or head of operations at the company, right? The person whose job it is, is to make sure that everything gets done on time, that we're, um, you know, we're getting our supplies from the best vendor at the best price, and we're going to negotiate hard, and we're going to beat up on them when delivery times are short and all that sort of thing, right? So it's this power over resources. And, you know, in all the years I've been doing this kind of work, can't tell you how many heads of operations I've encountered. You know, again, and this is the person whose job it is, is to make sure that the materials are coming in the door on the right time and they're going out the door at the right time and getting to the customer at the right time. That is just the job that is designed for a preserving aid, right? Just this command and control over resources. So, so typically with the other, um, with the other preservers, we would, we would consider the preserver to be more maybe introverted or a little bit calmer or more subdued. Would that be the case for the preserving eight as well? Yeah, more so than than the navigating or transmitting. Right? Um, they're they're the quieter eight generally, but very intense still. You know, and that's yeah. that's one thing notable about them. Yeah, task oriented and less kind of emotional connection, or less intense in terms of expressing emotions to other people. Less charismatic as well. So it, does does the power over resources end up looking like control or is there other ways that expresses itself? It is control. It is a lot about execution. It's like moving things forward, putting a lot of pressure on getting things done. Power is the capacity to produce a result, right? To create an effect. So what the preserving eight is doing is exercising the capacity to produce a result in the preserving domain. And that means getting stuff done in the preserving domain and running through whatever walls there are in order to, you know, have it. Uh, now, again, I say running through walls. It's more of a, it's more like a tank driving through walls, right? I always, this is the image I always have of the preserving eight is more of a tank, you know, rather than a, you know, a bomber jet or say, you know, whatever, pick your, you know, other analogy, it's methodical, deliberate, consistent, you know, and just not going to be stopped until they achieve what they want. Now, at the same time, you know, on a personal level, very family oriented, right? Probably the most family oriented of the eights. Uh, we'll see, you know, it's kind of a different version with the transmitting eight, but it's like, you know, I am the protector of the family. I'm the protector of the children in a very real way. It's my job to, 
you know, make sure that the home is safe, make sure that we have enough resources, make sure there's money in the bank, make sure there's enough food, whatever it is, to make sure we have what we need. Now, it's not a big, ambitious, I want to own the whole world kind of need for control. It's, I want to have enough of the things and do not touch my stuff, okay? Just don't don't mess with it. What are some types, is, is there any types that could be mistaken for preserving a? Uh, what's your experience, Maria? Eh? Oh, yeah. It's hard. Um, yeah. In the book, we have nine, one, and five. Now, mm-hmm. when you don't spend a lot of time with them or don't know a lot about it, you might confuse them if you look at one particular kind of clip of the movie. But uh, but I think that it's, it's very evident when an aide is an aide. And it's like I have this one in mind who is very... Um, protective of his family. He gets what he wants done in his family, but it's not kind of too abrasive about it or too enforcing things like shouting or anything. It's just he gets his way into kind of doing what he wants. Uh, and he doesn't even... Uh, go into the details of what other people are doing too much. He's very cautious in that way. But he, whatever he wants happens, you know? So it's just... Yeah. They don't need to shout, right? I mean, mean, they rarely need to shout. I I had a client one time who was a preserving aide, and uh, he would go around to all of his people's offices in the morning, and he had a, had a, a, a clip chart, right, a clipboard, and he had a list of things on, you know, on a piece of paper on the clipboard. And he would walk in and just, he wouldn't even go all the way into their office. He would stand in the doorway and say, where are we on this? Boom. Okay. And then he'd make a check. Where are we on this? Boom. Where where are we on this? Boom. And then he would leave, right? And, you know, people said, you know, the guy with the clip, the, you know, the clipboard, man, he's driving me crazy. You know, it's like insulting, demeaning, all this stuff. And I remember saying to him, hey, Mike, you know, uh, we got to do something about this clipboard thing. You know, we got to, you know, it, it feels too kind of controlling and, you know, inhuman in a sense. And he said, oh, okay, well, I don't mean to come across that way. Uh, how about I switch to a notebook? Right. So, you know, so for him, the issue was the clipboard, <laughs> you know, and, and, and not the, the, the impact of it. Um, I, I, I really don't, well, I, 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 look, we got to bring in the Godfather here, okay? I mean, look, if we're going to talk yep. about the subtitles at the end, there it is, right? At 13 minutes and 57 seconds, folks. <laughs> um, the, 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 the Godfather is just a perfect example of three versions of the subtype of the eight. And uh, Michael Corleone, played by Al Pacino, is just, he just captures that. And, you know, and I've heard people say, oh, that character's a five or whatever. No, it is not a five. And if you think differently, just think of the scene where he meets Apollonia, right, in the, you know, walking along the path. And he goes to the restaurant, and they're sitting, and they're asking about this beautiful girl that they just met. And it turns out that the proprietor of the cafe is the girl's father, right? And so what does Michael do? He says, okay, look, here, translate for me. And he basically says, I'm inviting you to my home and I'm going to marry your daughter. I'm going to tell you that I'm a wanted man, and you could use that information, but if you do, I'll kill you. 
And, you know, and, <laughs> and that's not what a five would do in that situation, uh, uh, right? You, you know, a five wouldn't even want to be in a relationship. I mean, that's, <laughs> well, I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, they right, would, but, but yeah, they yeah. wouldn't go that yeah, far, yeah. I think. Yeah, it's, right. just, it's just here's what I want and here's how this is going to work and here's <laughs> how this is going to happen and boom, right? So, um, you, you know, and so Michael Corleone is just the perfect example of the preserving eight in action. So when it comes to pattern of expression, Maria Jose, can you can you start and and talk about the pattern of expression as it relates to the work that often uh, preserving aids uh, need to do? Okay, so they the uh, zone of enthusiasm is preserving. So they do all of these things that we have described. Now, when we talk about the work that they need to do, it's usually not overdo that area and make sure that they leverage it, but they don't overdo it. So there are other things that need to be taken care of. And I remember a client I had who had people go into his office to tell him about their problems. And the guy said to me, like, I don't know what to do with it. You know, it's like what they do with these people and what if they start crying, you know? <laughs> and, and, Be a man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a godfather reference, folks. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so I think that that jumps into the zone of uh, inner conflict, the navigating zone. And they kind of understand what they need to do, but they don't feel that prepared for it or uh, skillful and they need to work more on it because it's something they need. They are not going to accomplish everything they want just by doing stuff or pushing people to do stuff. They need to engage into the office politics. They need to understand who has, I mean, all the power dynamics and all of that and use it. And I think that they might be able to do that, but not enough, and it's usually an area where they can grow. They need to grease the wheels. Yeah. Yeah, and finally, the transmitting, uh, which is the zone of indifference, it's, as with all preservers, it's uh, something that they don't pay that, that much attention. However, I think with AIDS, that energy that it's more assertive, more driven, might get um, confused a bit with transmitting. They People might see some transmitting and they might be less quiet or less held back because of it, because of the eight aspects of, of their personality. And still they might have a hard time promoting themselves and their team and all the typical trans, uh, preserving issues with the transmitting zone. So, so what does that look like I think of it as very forward, pushing themselves into places. So what does that sort of indifference to transmitting look like? I, I think they tend to have contempt for people who are like showboats, right? So for people mm -hmm. who want to, you know, show off. It's because, again, for the eight, getting results is just paramount for the preserving eight. It's like getting tasks done is all that really matters. And so people who are going to take time drawing attention to themselves and showing off is just wasting time. It's just, you know, it's anathema to what we're trying to achieve. And they also wrestle with 
as Maria Jose was saying, reading the, um, you know, political cues because it just, you know, they get it. They, they try to be nice to people, but it's, why are we talking about this? Why can't you just do what I want? Why, you know, why, why do we have to jump through all these hoops? And I, I happen to be working with a few preserving aides now as, as coaches, and they all wrestle with the same thing. It's just, you know, I say things directly to people, and I can't understand why they get offended when I say things very directly or why they get upset or why they find me hard to work with. All I'm doing is stating the facts, okay? So they have you know, a, a little bit of political tone deafness and a real, you know, disdain for show-offs. Would, would you say that often relationships could become tasks? Yeah. Um, they, they see, you know, they can see... Now, I, I don't want to suggest that they don't love the people in their lives, you know, their spouse, their children, you know, whatever, but mm-hmm. they can often treat them as a task to be done or a job to be done in some way, right? These are my duties. These are my responsibilities to take care of my children. As a form of love. As a form of love. Absolutely right. Because, you know, again, the, these instinctual biases are systems of priorities and values. So, you know, helping you make sure that your preserving needs are met are the, the most loving thing I can do for you because there's nothing more important than that. Yeah, and also probably enforcing some routines that they want that are important to them mm. so that uh, people have to comply with it. That would be another way to exercise power in the preserving domain through routines. Great. Well, let's move on to the Navigating 8. <clears throat> uh, Maria Jose, why don't you talk about the Navigating 8? This will go much, real, real quick. Uh, uh, how much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that as with all navigators, um, the navigating aid wants to understand the landscape. They want to understand the group dynamics, who is who, who has the power, uh, who are the different groups inside the group, and all of that. Now, different to, I mean, compared to the other types, the aid wants to control that group especially if there's no clear leader taking the group where they want it to go. So it's they might accept somebody else running it as long as it's aligned with my agenda. But if there's a void or if there's a somebody taking it in another direction, then I'll step up and I'll take control. And they're good at it. Now they have these not ambivalence, but these two sides whereas the where the um, eight impulse is to control and assert and all of that. And the navigating domain, instinctual bias, provides a bit of inhibition, a bit of, or a lot actually, like political savvy, and they know better. And they might not do everything kind of in the public light, but just make sure that they move the pieces of the chessboard so that things happen, even if they're behind the scenes. Uh, So they want to make sure that my agenda is the one that is driving things, but I might do so through moving other people making other people do what I want and not be in front of the camera all the time. Maybe stepping back just a touch, 
I think when we think of eights, we instinct we instantly think of leaders. Would you say that all eights assume leadership, or does like some someone like a navigating eight wait for a vacuum to be created and be like, "There's there's my cue." No, I think that they all <laughs> just assume leadership. Yeah, in different ways. I think they have mm-hmm. a different affect or a different way of getting there, but um, it's a natural desire to be in control, to do what I want to do. And it's a lot easier when I'm leading it than when I'm following. You know, mm-hmm. it's just simple math. <laughs> if I'm yeah, in charge, yeah, it will be my way. If I'm not in charge, it will be somebody else's way. It will <laughs> and, be, be terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, it will not be my way. And mm-hmm. um, so even if they're not thinking about it, if they're not consciously saying, I want to be the boss, but what they want is to do things their way. And mm-hmm. they end up being in charge or out. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Well, we can move on to the transmitting eight now. Um. <laughs> may, may I comment? No, of course you can. Yeah, yeah. Um, Two minutes. Yeah. So, so this is you know I, I don't disagree with anything Marioze said, and a lot of particularly navigating aids have a hard time hearing how power oriented they are. Okay. Because there's this, you know, we can see power as a negative thing. I recently had this conversation with a client uh, who was an eight, a navigating eight, uh, and also very religious. And he just, you know, this idea of striving to feel powerful was, you know, hard for him to accept. And he tried to explain it away as, you know, feeling responsible, you know, feeling like I have to keep people accountable, whatever. But everybody in the room is sitting there looking at him like, you know, of course this is you, right? I mean, it's just, there's no doubt about it. And it does, it is kind of selfish, right? And, you know, this is something that I wrestle with seeing this in myself that, you know, I want the world to be my way and everybody else is sort of a satellite around that. And, you know, and I try to be a benevolent, (laughs) you know, Sun God, but you know that's. You know. <laughs> I will. I will try to convince everyone else that my agenda is their agenda as well, yeah. so that yeah. they feel like yeah. I, we are on this together. Yeah, and you know, and yeah. it really is my my motto, my operating motto is: I'm happy to do for anybody else whatever they need, as long as it's going my way, right? Uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I mean, really, I mean, yeah. as as long as I can, you know, help you, you know, I'm happy to do it, you know, as long as. You know, as long as your concerns don't compete with mine, you know, and then that's the thing, mm-hmm. you know. So, you know, and this is Vito Corleone in, in The Godfather, right? This is, you know, and as he's talking to, uh, you know, the, the the drug dealer, oh, shoot, I'm blanking on his name. Salazzo. Um, Salazzo, thank you. Wow. Uh, yeah, I know. Uh, you know, it's a senior moment here. But, uh, you know, and he, and he tells I'm more Salazzo. impressed that Maria Jose remembered the name. That's, <laughs> well, that's, of course. That's my, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not but, all about you, Mario. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Case in point. But, you know, you go back and you, you watch the rise of Vito, uh, you know, in Godfather 2 during the flashbacks. And, you know, Vito's carrying, you know, going along with the other guy, right? Clemenza, right? Clemenza is the boss at first. 
And, you know, Vito sees an opportunity where Clemenza sort of buckles. You know, he's afraid of the of the other gangster. And Vito says, you know what? Uh, I, I got an idea here. Let, you know, I'll, I'll leave this to me. I'll take care of it. And, you know, in an exchange... I get this, you know, and it was at that moment he became the boss, right? But, you know, so he's looking out for people and he's politically astute and all these sort of things. And and that's something I think we really have to recognize when we talk about the Navigating Eight is this real political strategic astuteness. Um, and it's almost like, it's almost like they're the person playing chess and the queen at the same time, right? And, you know, when you play chess, you kind of hold your queen back for a while, right? You're, you know, you're moving the pieces around, but, you know, you, you don't, you don't lead with the queen. You wait until you see some vulnerability in the other side, and then you move your queen out and you start kicking ass with her, right? And so, you know, the navigating eight, in a sense, is, is both the chess player and the queen at the same time, in a way. So... Mm. I think of I, I think of my experience with uh, not not Mario but another navigating eight of um, they assume they understand and have mastery <laughs> until they don't like it's it's like a oh yeah I get it I get it yeah this is this is this is what you want this is where you're going this is what I think and it's like, no you don't this is not what I want this is not where we're going so sometimes I'll catch it but. Then other times I, I get somewhere and I'm doing something, and then all of a sudden realizing, wait, I I never thought this or wanted this in the first place. <laughs> yeah, wait a second, how did I find myself here? And, and now and, and now I'm angry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm somewhere where I don't want to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. Um, so let's talk about pattern of expression. What's what's something that navigating navigating eights struggle with as it relates to the instinctual biases? I think that everything, um, kind of, this is is the same for every profile. But in the case of the navigating aid, uh, it is so tempting to just spend a lot of time doing the political play, you know, and playing, using all this astuteness to do things, engage with people, push people, whatever movements you want to to do, and not pay attention to the other things. And, but that happens to all of us in different ways. With the transmitting domain, the zone of inner conflict, I think that there's less probably inhibition than with other navigators, but it's still present. And it's like, and it's getting out there, promoting myself. It's, it's um, a challenge that it's possible to overcome but still probably not very structured or sustained in time. I think that it goes like on and off many times. It's just hard. And structure, the zone of of indifference in the preserving domain, it's the big challenge. It's finding a way to be consistent about things and not want to change them every time, over and over again. <laughs> Y'all aren't seeing the glare that's happening. Um, well, yeah, Mario, talk talk to us about what what is this desire for? Uh, other than I'm being very rigorous, what's the desire to continually evolve and change? Uh, kind know, of squirreling it, to different ideas. Uh, well, it, it's funny because my, my initial reaction to that 
my initial gut reaction is, what kind of stupid question? Yeah, right, is, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right, because it just seems so obvious to me. Look, uh, different ways to think about it. Now, as we know in Navigators, the preserving domain is a zone of indifference. So process and structure, all those sort of things, yes, of, of little interest to me beyond the way I see them, you know, absolutely necessary in my immediate needs. Um, but as far as changing ideas, right, there's a difference between changing processes, right? You know, keeping my calendar online one week and then in a book the next week or using different systems of ordering, that sort of thing. That's one thing. But It's not but, exaggerating. Well, no, I, 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 <laughs> I do. I, yeah, yeah, so, so, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, but... As far as changing ideas, I think for me that that's that's how we develop objective knowledge. It's the the whittling away of imperfection in theory, right? So, you know, this is again this whole idea of falsification that we've talked about so much over the course mm-hmm. of these episodes. Of the way I get closer to the truth is whittle away the falseness in my explanations of the world and my ideas and refine them better. Because there is power in knowledge, right? I mean, knowing things is a form of power because this gives me a opportunity to, you know, be skillful in some way in the world. So, what would be a maladaptive version of that, though? Uh, well, it can it can ver- it can it can veer into cynicism. Right uh, of you know, oh, just everything's bull BS, and you know you can see eights who are you know who become completely pragmatic and even dismissive of the idea of objective truth and you know epistemic principles because they get in the way of me pursuing whatever impulse happens to be hitting me at this time. Right. So there's a, you know, Maria Jose mentioned the idea of inhibition. And uh, so there does have to be, in order for it not to veer into maladaptivity, there does have to be this, you know, this uh, self discipline, this inhibition around not just dismissing the concept of truth and process, you know, completely, so I can do whatever I want whenever I want. So, so one of the challenges that, you know, eights can run into is, you know, we talk about the seven and this idea of striving to feel excited. Well, what's driving the, um, the eight deep down inside is this need to feel alive. Okay. I, it's, it's not stimulation in the same sense of the seven. It's, it's, it's something deeper. It's something more visceral, right? I just need to feel like I am engaged with the world in some way. And I keep looking for ways to do that. I keep looking for ways that will make me feel more of that. And then when they prove dissatisfying or when I become acclimated to them and they start to become boring, then I've got to jump to something else that will give me that feeling of being alive again, right? So this is one of the reasons why eights can jump from thing to thing when they do is because, you know, I just that just doesn't make me feel alive anymore. It doesn't thrill me. How does one remedy that? Because that's going to be a consistent thing that they run into. Pick big fights. Yeah, you, you know. I, no, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean okay. it, right? I, I, it, seriously, it's it's you know, uh, <laughs> you know, Karl Popper said that everybody should find one big problem and devote a huge amount of time to it. 
right? And and this is what eights need mm-hmm. to do is is focus on something big rather than something small because they get bored with the small thing and they you know need to find some other small thing and some other small thing. But when they have a big problem to wrestle with, it keeps them more focused. It's about meaning. It's about purpose. It's about yeah. You know, and bored with the small problems doesn't mean that they've accomplished solving that problem. No, it just. No. Not no, a, not yeah, at all. Okay. Not at all. No, it's just not interesting to me anymore. All right, so let's move on to the transmitting eight. We'll just start with Mira Jose again. <laughs> tell, tell us about the uh, transmitting eight. Well, the transmitting eight is more the stereotype of the eight that we think of when we read about eights or when we think about eights, and uh, it is more expansive. It's louder. It's more forceful, less inhibited. I think that it's everything we've said, but now letting go more. And um, and I think it has certain benefits, of course. And but it's uh, how do you say pattern esque? It's it's more kind of you want to go to war. You would want a transmitting aid to lead the troops, you know, because they're have less fear, they are charismatic, they're, they want to just go and get into the fight directly. And now I think we have not mentioned this about eight and it applies to every eight, but I do think that they're, as anyone else, but eight in particular have like a really big heart. I mean, they do a lot of what they do uh, because they care about the people around them a lot. I mean, they have their own agenda, of course. They want to do what they want, but they're very caring of the people around them. So that's another aspect that transmitting aids have, but also the other aids. I, I, you know, that's a great point. Thank you for making it, Mariose. But I, I, and it, it makes me think, too, that one of the reasons that aids feel the need to set the agenda is because they don't feel like anybody else is doing it. Mm. Right. So, you know, they, they wrestle with ambiguity when they see a lack of a protector. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> uh, yeah, Mario and I were in Belgium <clears throat> and our friend Philippe and was Didier with us? Didier yeah, I think was, he was. Yes. <clears throat> so we were in a car. Philip was driving. I was in the on the front seat as well. Mari was almost sleeping in the back seat, and Philip was. Do you want to go to this place or that place? This place or that place? And I think the third time, when nobody said this or that, Mario half asleep said that place. You know, he just <laughs> couldn't just resist not making a decision. <laughs> And, and, and Maria Jose actually said, yeah, he doesn't do ambiguity very well. So, yeah, yeah, so, so. <laughs> yeah because, and, and, and I knew nothing about either place. It was just like, yeah, of course. come on, man, just flip a coin, man. Let's move this on, you know? So, yeah. Okay, yeah, all right. Yeah. So. Uh, so what made you think of that when it comes, comes to the transmitting eight? Well, no, it was it was more about what Marie Jose was saying about that, you know, having the big heart. And, you know, we, we, we've talked about this idea of the eight, you know, setting the agenda and feeling the need to and how that can seem selfish. But it's very often 
a reaction to this feeling like, you know what, there are actually no adults around here. So I've got to step in and, you know, set this agenda. And doing so comes with a lot of responsibility, right? When you be the one who says, here's where we're going to go, here's what we're going to do. Now you have the potential for everybody to be angry and disappointed with you. So you've got to either make it happen or, you know, make them too afraid to, you know, get angry at you for it not working out. There's something else about transmitting AIDS. Uh, like with all transmitters, there's these uh, more entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial man- mindset, like giving birth to things, including companies and organizations. And 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 I think that with the transmitting AIDS, that gets amplified because it's this drive to change, to move things forward and then give birth to something that... I kind of, I get reproduced by that, but it's magnified because of the combination of the aid and the transmitting. So it's people who usually have like a big, like a force of nature that creates things. And, but, and, and at the same time, they get very identified with that thing they have created. So it's them. And usually when you see, uh, leaders who have this style where people explain every decision by saying it's because so and so wants it. You know, it's usually that's the kind of transmitting aid style. It's like that person wants it, so we'll do it. Yeah. Maria Jose used the word Patton esque, and, you know, to watch the movie Patton is a great example of a transmitting eight and the opening of Patton is just perfect to illustrate this because it's, you know, Patton walking up in front of this huge American flag and, you know, all dressed up with all his medals and his pearl handled revolvers. And the, the camera kind of closes up on the medals and on the revolvers and on these different things. It's just this pure giant, massive peacock, you know, sort of moment that happens. And Patton was probably a transmitting eight. And, you know, like Marie Jose said, it's the, the perfect sort of wartime general that you want. Now, if you compare Patton to, say, uh, George Marshall, who was, you know, the, the author of the Marshall Plan that uh, rebuilt Europe after World War II, Marshall was very much a preserving eight. Um, he was just this master of logistics, this master of implementation. And then you have Omar Bradley, on the other hand, who was probably a navigating eight, who, you know, was the big strategic thinker, the one who was really sitting back and working the politics and going back and forth between the generals in the field and the politicians back in Washington and so forth. So another good example of that. If we go back to The Godfather, I'll just say real quickly, it's the Sonny character. Right, the James mm. Con character is the transmitting eight. So, so I imagine if we're stepping into the pattern of expression that transmitting eights often maybe resist taking input from others on some level, like it, it's not as as important. Yeah, uh, but, but yeah, go ahead, Maria. Say, were you going to say something? I was just picturing the response of a transmitting aid getting feedback, but getting input. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, well, yeah, but, but on the other hand, let me be fair. I have yeah. this one. I had a boss once who was a transmitting aid, and 
nobody dared to say anything to him, you know? So they create these, they, uh, they, they intimidate people many times, even if it's not their intention. Um, and once I had feedback from, for the guy and he was not even my direct boss. I, I was just two levels below him. And when I told my boss, like, you know what? I think this way. And he said, would you be willing to tell the guy uh, about it? And I said, sure. And I went to his office to give him feedback, you know, and he just, he smiled and he, I think he was thrilled to see me giving him feedback on how he should lead the organization. <laughs> but it was kind of cute. But uh, <laughs> but I think that they appreciate feedback when it's honest and you're firm, you're grounded, and you have the guts to say it because it's not easy. Yeah. If, if, if you show that you got some balls, they're going to listen to you, right? I mean, yeah. that's you know, really just what it comes down to. And you do it in a way that's respectful. And, um, you know, again, and I, I know I keep referencing The Godfather, but it's a really good example for that people can watch in a movie of what this really looks like. And there's this scene where they're deciding, you know, Vito has been shot and they're deciding they're going to go get revenge. And, you know, do they kill the cop or whatever? And Michael, you know, comes to his point of view. And now Sonny's on the war path. We're going to do this. We're going to go kill them. We're going to do, you know, blah, 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 blah. And when the other people pushed back on him, Michael in particular, but also Tom, he took a deep breath and said, okay, all right, fine. But you have to work. I mean, it's you, you, you're not just going to, you know, say, hey, you should do it this way. And they're going to say, oh, OK, well, if you say so, then fine. No, you're going to have to work mm-hmm. to get your point of view across. But if you do, they will listen to you mm-hmm. and they'll respect it's a you. a bloodhound that has caught the scent of a rabbit. Yeah. 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 So I, I don't know if we've talked much about the inner conflict towards preserving yeah, so I'll touch on that, right? So there is, you know, there there is a good, you know, very often transmitting eights are good operationally, right? They're good operationally at a high level, right, of recognizing that operations need to be done well and process needs to be followed. They're better at delegating that and following up on it and making sure that it happens. So they'll push things through to get done. But they also never feel like they have enough. And this is one of the big challenges for transmitting eights is this ex- need for excess, this need for more and more and more because of this insecurity of not having enough of the things that I feel like I need. So there's an insecurity in the preserving domain that's often met by a real desire for accumulation. Okay, of things. And where they wrestle, wrestle is reading the politics of an organization. Transmitting AIDS, it's a real big blind spot. And they don't realize it very often because they think they're good at it because they're used to people doing what they want them to do. But they really don't, They most of them really struggle to read the subtle, nuanced politics of an organization. And if you look at, again, any of the, you know, transmitting aids we've talked about, you know, Patton, that was his big downfall, right? He just couldn't do the politics. And Sonny, you know, he couldn't pause and listen to people and take a deep breath and ended up with 75 bullet holes in him or something, right? So, um, you know, so th- this is the big challenge is in the navigating domain for the transmitting aid. Even though most transmitting aids I know say, oh, I'm really good at, you know, 
being political and blah, blah, blah. That's only because they bulldoze their way until, you know, they ultimately fail. Mm. Well, they are charming enough and have enough power that yeah. they can navigate those waters until they yeah. don't. There's a really influential article from the Harvard Business Review back in the 70s called Power is the Great Motivator, written by a guy named David McClelland, who was a psychologist of leadership focused on motivation. And he said that people have, leaders have three fundamental motivations, a need for affiliation, which is a desire to be liked, a need for achievement, which is a need to set goals and meet them, and then a need for power which is the ability to shape one's environment. Now, when you read McClelland and you're reading about the need for affiliation, it's like he's describing nines, okay? It's just, it's amazing. It's almost like he took an Enneagram book and wrote about nines in that. When you, he talks about need for achievement, it's threes, right? It's just, the, the, the guy's writing about threes, okay? And when he's talking about the need for power, he's talking about eights. Okay. And he makes the distinction between what he calls a social power eight or institutional power eight, which is somebody who wants power, needs power, wants to exercise power, but puts the restraints of the organization on themselves and focuses on the needs of the organization versus the personal power leader, which is this is my thing and we're going to do it my way. And, you know, and so the distinction that McClellan makes and the way he describes these, really it's navigating eights and transmitting eights uh, to a huge degree. And transmitting eights, in order to be successful long-term, need to develop that navigating, that capacity for institutional power but navigating at eights tend to be more successful long-term leaders in my experience than uh, transmitting eights unless they really learn that lesson. Mara, if you could uh, d d summarize, talk to the eights out there that are listening, uh, what, what's, what's your word of wisdom? Keep on keeping on, dude. You got it. You know, you're, 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 you're king of the mountain. No, that's uh, no. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to resist sounding trite here, right? But I'll, I'll risk it anyway. The, the single most important lesson I think eights need to learn of all the subtypes is you can be more powerful by being kinder, right? You, you can be more powerful by empowering others, by being thoughtful, by looking for ways to help them meet their needs uh, by treating people uh, well instead of trying to intimidate them and so forth. That's the path to true power. Put that on a coffee mug. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thanks, y'all. We'll see you next week. All right. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Awareness to Action Enneagram podcast. If you're interested in more information or talking to Mario, MJ, or myself, feel free to reach out to us through the links in the show notes or by emailing info at awarenesstoaction.com. All episode transcriptions and further information can be found at awarenesstoaction.com slash podcast. <laughs>